Hello everyone and welcome to the Crime Time podcast. This podcast is going to focus on some truly shocking true crime stories. In this first episode, we'll be looking into the case of Peter Manuel, the Beast of Birkinshaw. Peter Manuel was born on March 15, 1926, in New York, to Scottish parents Samuel Manuel and Bridget Manuel. When he was six years old, the family returned to Scotland and bought a house in Motherwell, just outside Glasgow. It's believed the decision to move back to Scotland was due to financial difficulties after the Wall Street crash. There were early signs about Peter when he started to show signs of violence and aggression from the age of 10 years old, attacking fellow kids as they played, etc. When he was at school, he was mocked and bullied by his classmates as he had a very strong American accent and this resulted in more fights and more violence. The first sign of Manuel fulfilling his dark potential was in 1942 when at the age of 15 he broke into a teacher's house and attacked his wife as she lay in her bed, hitting her over the head several times with a candlestick holder. What the teacher did to incur Manuel's wrath is unclear and shows how dangerous he was from a very young age. Following the attack, he hid in the school's nativity scene before eventually being caught and charged with assault and breaking and entering. He was sentenced to serve a small amount of time in New Frizen, known as Borstal. Following a short sentence at Borstal Youth Prison, Manuel was released and between the ages of 15 and 16, he continued to break into houses, threatening the occupants and steal their possessions. In one particular instance, he committed sexual assault on a woman as she lay in her bed. And for this, he was sent back to Borstal Youth Prison. Shortly after turning 16, Manuel was released from Borstal. However, he was clearly not reformed, as he attacked and raped a woman in her house shortly after being released. Manuel was quickly caught by the police, and in 1946, he was sentenced to nine years in prison for the crime. He was ordered to serve this time at Peterhead Prison. This would be his first time in an adult prison. Manuel served all nine years of his prison sentence and was released in 1953. However, in prison, he had continued to show signs of violence, often getting into fights with other inmates. He insisted throughout the whole process that the police were out to get him and were fabricating evidence against him. It was Detective Muncie who caught Manuel for the rape, and from then on, Manuel held a grudge against Muncie. He would send Christmas and birthday cards to Detective Muncie to scare him and torment him after he was caught and in prison. In a letter to the police, he vowed, and I quote, He is going to get it. Next time you see him, remind him that he has a wife and kids. He will understand. Now this shows the dark and twisted mind 
of Peter Manuel. Upon his release from prison, Manuel was forced to return to live with his parents. He also took up a job working alongside his father at British Railways. However, he lied about his criminal past to get this job, and when it came to light, he was subsequently fired. It is said this period of his life further fueled his anger and made him a much more dangerous person. In 1955, Manuel sexually assaulted Mary McLaughlin, dragging her off the road as she walked home from a, from a dance. He tormented her for over one hour, but he continually threatened her with decapitation and describing how he was going to kill her in great detail, clearly taking pleasure from her fear. Manuel was arrested for the attack and took the bizarre stance to represent himself in court. Demonstrating his skills as a master manipulator, he was able to present enough doubt to the court for them to deliver a not proven verdict. This meant that while the court did not rule out Manuel committing the attack, there was insufficient evidence to convict. The failure of the court to convict Manuel of the rape would prove deadly. On the 2nd of January 1956, he stalked 17-year-old Anne Nealands onto a golf course in East Kilbride, about a 20-mile drive from his home in Glasgow. At the time, he was working in East Kilbride as a gas fitter. With no one around, he attacked her, knocking her to the ground and raping her. He followed up this attack by clubbing her to death with an iron bar. As police investigated the murder, they questioned Manuel as he was a known sex offender and had been working in the area. However, he was released without charge as his father provided him with an alibi. He was never formally convicted of murdering Anne Nealands, however, he later confessed to the murder. This is the first known murder committed by Peter Manuel. This began a murder spree that would only gain traction with the frequency of the attacks increasing. On the night of the 17th of September 1956, Manuel broke into Marion Watts' house in Highburnside, Glasgow. Marion was at home with her sister Margaret and 16-year-old daughter Vivian. All three were shot and killed in their beds. However, Vivian was first sexually assaulted. This attack brought Manuel's number of victims up to four, all within the space of nine months. Now, Marion's husband William was initially charged with the crimes, although he was later released due to lack of evidence, after he could demonstrate that he was away on a fishing trip at the time of the murders. Alongside the murders, Manuel was also carrying out other crimes, such as breaking and entering and petty theft. It was for these crimes that he was caught and arrested once again. He was sent to Berlin Prison in Glasgow to serve a short sentence for this. And at one point, he was in the same prison at the same time as William Watt, Marion's husband, as he served time for their murders. In December 1957, one month after being released from Berlin Prison, Manuel struck again, 
this time in Newcastle in the north of England. Manuel had been working in the area at the time and had taken a taxi home one night. Sidney Dunn was that taxi driver. He was later found having been shot through the head and had his throat slit. Witnesses identified Manuel as the last person to be seen entering Sydney's taxi. There was also a button found within the cab that came from the coat of Peter Manuel. There is, however, some doubt if this killing was the work of Manuel. However, on the weight of evidence, I feel it is likely that he did commit the murder. And following Manuel's death, a jury found him guilty of this murder. Manuel's killing started to increase in frequency and later that same month, on the 28th of December 1957, Isabel Cook went missing. She was on her way to meet her boyfriend and was due to meet him at Uddingston Masonic Hall for a dance. However, she never arrived. An extensive search was launched, but however was unsuccessful in finding her body. And her body would not be found till after she'd been missing for 19 days. And without Peter Manuel assisting the police in this, her body might never have been found. Manuel's final murders were perhaps his most shocking. Shortly after the murder of Isabel Cook, Manuel struck again in the early hours of New Year's Day 1958, showing that he was spiralling out of control and his urge to kill growing greater every single day. Manuel broke into the home of the Smart family as they slept in their beds. In another seemingly random attack, he shot and killed Peter and Doris Smart and a 10-year-old son, Michael. Most shockingly about this brutal and random attack is that Manuel stayed in the house with the bodies for one week, eating their food and even looking after their cats. By staying in the Smart family's house, it was clear that Manuel's confidence as a killer was growing. He even had the arrogance to take the Smart's car and pick up a local policeman and offer him a lift to the police station while they were looking into the disappearance of Isabel Cook. Now, suspicion grew regarding the Smart family's safety when Peter Smart did not report for work on the 6th of January. Two of Peter's colleagues and two police officers visited the house where they found the body of the Smart family, each with a gunshot wound to the head. A murder investigation was launched. Over the following few days, police searched the surrounding area for clues to the identity of the murderer. However, nothing of note was found. Police had begun to suspect that a serial killer was on the loose, as the murder of Van Nealens, the Watts and now the Smarts had similar hallmarks. Meanwhile, Manuel, who was usually broke, was going out most evenings and spending considerable amounts of money money which he had taken from the Smart family. However, it would prove that this would ultimately lead to his downfall. On the day of his murder, Peter Smart had taken £35 in new numbered banknotes from the local bank. This was at a time 
when ATMs were not widely available and numbered banknotes were just starting to launch. The police were able to speak to the bank and identify the exact zero number that was on Peter Smart's notes. Suspicion of Manuel grew as a local pub landlord reported to the police that Manuel had been in most evenings spending considerable amounts of money, money of which he had no way of earning as he had no job at the time. So on the 14th of January in 1958, detectives arrived at Manuel's house with a search warrant and found various items from the smart house, most notably Peter Smart's banknotes. Police continued to search Peter Manuel's house and eventually came across the murder weapon. A gun was found hidden away and this gun matched that that was used to kill the Smart family. Manuel was arrested on suspicion of murder and he later confessed fully to all murders. He even led police directly to the body of Isabel Cook, which was well hidden and may not have been found for some time. It is thought he did this in an effort to prevent the death penalty from being served to him. Peter Manuel's court case for murder ran between the 12th to the 29th of May 1958. In this case, he withdrew his confession and pleaded not guilty, claiming that the police had coerced him into confessing. However, the jury did not buy this taking only two and a half hours to decide that Manuel was guilty of seven murders. The judge sentenced Peter Manuel to death by hanging. Manuel found himself yet again in Berlin Prison, Glasgow. This time, however, he was on death row. At 8am on Friday the 11th of July 1958, Manuel was led from his cells to the gallows. He was offered the opportunity to say some last words and these were, turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. And with that, the noose was placed around his neck and the hanging was carried out. This was the end of Peter Manuel, the Beast of Birkinshaw. This concludes our look into the case of Peter Manuel, a truly twisted and evil man who took the lives of Anne Neelands, Marion Watt, Margaret Watt, Vivian Watt, Sidney Dunn, Isabel Cook, Peter Smart, Doris Smart and their son Michael Smart. His crimes shocked the nation of Scotland and I felt this was an appropriate first episode for the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this story. Please leave a review and look out for future episodes of the Crime Time Podcast. Thank you, everyone.